0: Why do you linger here when there is no hope?
1: There is still hope.
0: Tempted to think there's no hope for overcoming some of the challenges of modern life? Ask an elf. Or a hobbit. Tune in Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with Milo Lomestown at your service and...
2: Connie Tenuvial, the resident KUCI Middle-Earth Elf,
0: for What Would Arwen Do? on KUCI Irvine 88.9 FM and streaming live on KUCI.org.
2: The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, Visit KCI.org or
1: KCI
2: talk.org. Ima. ima. FM. KUCI. la FM! You're listening to 88.9 FM TUCI in Irvine.
0: is the Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore for Lord of the Rings. This is What Would Arwen Do? Welcome. This is a program on KUCI-FM Irvine, the voice of the University of California at Irvine. You may wonder, what is this all about? Well, if a Middle-Earth elf lived today in Orange County, California, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? In other words, what would Arwin do? Some ask, what would Jesus do, which is a very good question. But on this program I ask, we ask, what would Arwin do? You may wonder, who is Arwin? Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom. Hmm, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or, in Elvish, Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility, she embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias writes, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an, ex- an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's, Elves, dwarves, hobbits, and the like partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God in his created world. I believe, we believe, this elven quality exists in every person and yearns for expression through the gifts of creativity, nobility, and service. So, having the incredible privilege of having a public affairs program here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, and being friends with an elf in beautiful Orange County, California, right here in the Middle Earth campus of UCI, when things arise that I want to think more deeply about, I like to ask my elf friend Tani Tanuvial the question, what would Arwen do? This is Milo Lomesdown at your service. Your Hobbit friend, and with me today, as always, is my elf friend, Tani Tenuvial, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. Good afternoon, Tani.
2: My Govanin and suelaid melanin.
0: We should welcome our many listeners both on the airwaves and on the Internet. This is Tuesday, November the 16th, 2010. So welcome to all of you listening on FM Frequencies at 88.9, all of you listening live on the Internet at KUCI.org. You can listen anytime to this wonderful radio station, this treasure trove, by clicking on one of the several links in the upper right corner of the homepage, which is KUCI.org. If you'd like to listen to us again later, we podcast our program, as do many of the programs here on KUCI and that webpage is kuci.talk.org and if you're one of those folks that like to use iTunes with their iPod or iPad or iPhone or i whatever <laughs> then you can go to the iTunes store and you can you can easily search for Arwen A R W E N and you will find what would Arwen do speaking yeah. of Arwen and elf princesses <laughs> Oh my gosh, so much happened this last week and so much excitement on the show today.
2: I know, I am very excited and uh, just to give our listeners a little teaser... A little bit later in the program, we are going to have a very special guest, Professor Diana Glyer, who is a professor of English at Azusa Pacific University right here in Azusa, California, and also the author of a wonderful book called The Company They Keep, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien as Writers in Community. So that'll be a, a little bit later in the show, so I hope you'll stay with us. Uh, for that, I am so very excited, uh, to speak with the professor today, another professor, because here we are definitely celebrating the works of a professor and our love for all things Middle Earth and Tolkien. And of course, uh, Milo and my dear Hobbit, we need to Say a special hello to our friends who are listening in and I would in particular today like to say a special hello and greeting to our friends who are listening uh, online. Especially from my one of my favorite communities on this planet, talking online, affectionately known as Torc, T-O-R-C, by many of us, Vanaladial and Guru, I believe, are listening in today, and maybe even uh, Scribbles from up in Canada, Rowanberry. I know she's she listens from somewhere away far off, but the internet is such a wonderful thing for helping us to stay connected to our communities of friends that. Uh, you know, we can't just walk down the road to their house, but the Internet is a wonderful thing. So I want to say a special shout out to any of those who are listening in today. And to remind people that we would love to hear from you, you can always email us at askanelf, A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F, at yahoo.com. And, of course, we have listeners, hopefully, listening in right here in Orange County.
0: And I, I believe we do. We want Again, to say hello. <laughs> for email to us, ask an elf, a s k a n e l f at yahoo dot Well, Tani, this was uh, another exciting week for the Hobbit movie. Every week now, until probably at least until December twenty twelve, <laughs> if not beyond, we will be talking about the movies that are coming. The first part will open. In December of 2012, there was an official casting call this week looking for extras. And this was published at the the, uh, Trade Me site in New Zealand, trademe.co.nz.
2: Now, is it... it's my understanding I think that when they do a casting call it's uh it's going to be um restricted to New Zealand is that correct
0: Let's read the uh, official oh, posting okay. from the from the site <laughs> essential requirements Men and women aged 17 to 80 years who also meet the additional requirements below Men must be under 170 centimeters that is shorter than five foot seven inches. Oh. Women should have light skin tones and be under 158 centimeters, five foot two inches. Uh-huh. You must be prepared to be available on short notice and they will be interviewing on Wednesday the 24th of November from 930 to 11:30 a.m. New Zealand time mm-hmm. in Matamata on Tainui Street. Please note, this casting call is for people who fit all the above requirements only. Please also note, applicants for this position should have either New Zealand residents or a valid New Zealand work permit. Mm. So.
2: Well, what, how exciting, though, for those who... Um, you know, would love to have an adventure of that sort. How many? How many people? You, you know, with the background in film, how many people usually when they do a casting call? I mean, for something of this scope, how many people do you think they might be looking for? Because these would be like extras and things like that, right?
0: Right, for extras like hundreds, and they're or? looking for they're looking for a cast of hundreds when it comes to extras. And so, um, I would say, given that New Zealand and New Even if you add in Australia, relatively a small environment, it may be that they're looking for two or three hundred, but I imagine that a couple thousand may show up because many Australians have New Zealand work permits.
2: Mm. Well, that's very exciting news, and we just have a few minutes because uh, we will be having our interview in about ten minutes, so... Right. Do you have any more movie news before just,
0: we... Just a brief thing. There was a very interesting uh, interview given by Martin Freeman, our our Bilbo Baggins. And in that interview, which is pointed to from the OneRing.net message boards, he actually had much to say, but he said, quote, I know my work plan, says Freeman. I start in January 2011. Then I'll have a break in the summer so I can shoot the second season of Sherlock, the BBC program where I portray Watson, and then I'll be back in New Zealand in September 2011 in order to finish the movie by the end of the year. This, of course, an Englishman saying summer because he's thinking about the Northern Hemisphere. Of course, it'll be winter in New Zealand at that time. So that is uh, a bit of the the movie news. Uh, There's an extended interview... Apparently, he didn't even read The Hobbit until after he was reading for the part. Uh, A tremendous, tremendous, um, tremendous interesting fact that Martin Freeman really wasn't familiar with The Hobbit in which he's going to be starring, uh, which I think is an amazing thing.
2: Yes, and I'm sorry for running, <laughs> running around the studio a little bit there, answering the phone, but I'm so excited because our guest uh, will be coming on uh, very soon. So I am, and could you give the um, address again one more time if people would like to find that um, that article? Um,
0: it's, it's you go to the theonering.net mm-hmm. and just scroll down. It's on the oh, front wonderful. page today yeah. of the website, uh, but you'll be able to search just for Martin Freeman, and you'll get hits all over the place. And
2: I've been very much enjoying his, um, just, you know, getting to see him a little bit in the uh, Sherlock series. He is
0: very, very impressive. Yes. In, so. the, in, in the most recent, the third and final episode of the first season, The Grand Game, he is very effective, especially at the end of the of the made-for-TV movie.
2: Well, um, so do we have any other movie news? Because I'd like for us to uh, share a little bit of, because uh, I know you have, I have a Hobbit adventure report.
0: Yes, I just wanted to briefly mention, uh, from my adventure report, I took my nephew and niece to see Medieval Times here in Buena Park, California, which is sort of a medieval kind of romantic jousting tournament, and there's six different colored knights, and the audience is divided into to rooting for the Yellow Knight mm-hmm. or the... Uh, white and red knight or the green knight, who it turns out for this performance was the bad guy. (laughs) And there's a king and a queen who are presiding over the ceremonies. And my niece, who is nine, and my nephew, who is four, just had a tremendously enjoyable time. And it was really an enjoyable time for the whole family because we had their parents there and uh, my hobbit wife was there. So, uh, medieval times in Buena Park, it's, it's a, it's a fun, fun
2: time. Oh, it is. I went to a pirate show there, not, Not too long ago. However, I'm going to do a little recap on on my own adventure. You went to medieval times. When you told me today that you had been to medieval times, it brought back a flood of memories for me of going to the gathering, which was a gathering of about 1,200 of us Tolkien (laughs) nuts for the premiere of Return of the King up in Toronto. And one of the um, it was a week long of just all kinds of wonderful things. And I got to meet so many of the people that I had met and only spoken to on the internet through uh, Tolkien Online, but got to meet people from England and New Zealand and Poland. And one of the events that we had was a night at Medieval Times with Medieval Times transformed into Middle Earth. So all of the horses and knights had the coats of arms of uh, Rohan, Lothlorien, there was a Haradrim, um, and I believe that, oh, Gondor. And uh, it was uh, absolutely amazing, with Aemir uh, and Aowen <laughs> presiding, and Gollum came out—not uh, the real Gollum, but someone who looked just about like Gollum. But it was amazing to see medieval times and those beautiful horses and the jousting uh, transformed into Middle Earth. One of the one of the highlights of my. Uh, Tolkien experience, I believe. And then, of course, we were all dancing afterwards, and it was a wonderful time. So I'm glad you got to take your your, uh, chill, your nieces and nephews to Medieval Times. Maybe someday um, Buena Park Medieval Times will be transformed into Middle Earth again.
0: Well, I can't wait to get to our interview. I want to have just a brief piece of music before to set the mood. This is from the complete recordings of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, there is a four-disc set. We're going to have selection number five from disc two called Rivendell.
2: And this is uh, in honor of Glenn Goodnight, who was the uh, visionary and founder of the Mythopoeic Society and um, just passed away uh, recently this last week. And that uh, we will be talking more about his life and contribution to the world of creativity and Tolkien and uh, with Professor Diana Glyer who will be coming on in just a few moments, um, after the music. But, um, just to remind people what a difference one person can make when you follow your dream, follow your passion. I believe it's that amazing. every one of us make a difference in the world anyway. No, you know, just by virtue of our existence and Absolutely. the lives of people around us. But sometimes when you have a vision and a dream for something and you follow it, you can really do something that impacts people for decades and decades. And, um, I think we see that that in the case of uh, Glenn Goodnight, so we'll be talking a bit about him. So in honor of his uh, passing uh, from the circles of this world, uh, Rivendell from the Academy Award-winning music of the Fellowship of the Ring.
0: This is What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine. Gosh, that is Academy Award-winning music from Howard Shore, Rivendell, from the complete recordings of *The Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, Disc 2, Selection 5.
2: And, you know, it's been over eight years now since I began my little adventure of <laughs> my life as an elf adventure, and which started all with the Fellowship of the Ring movie. And I never have grown tired of this, the music of the soundtracks of the Lord of the Rings, Howard Shore. It just was, it's just amazing. Every time I hear it, I, I fall in love again. Um, today though, we are um, celebrating the life of someone who has uh, passed from the circles of this world, Glenn Howard Goodnight II. And he is the vision, was a visionary and founder of the Mythopoeic Society. And there was a, a lovely piece in the LA Times about him on Sunday, and this how I just happened to find out about all of this. I, I was aware of the Mythopoeic uh, Society, but I just hadn't really done much, I don't know, I hadn't been in touch with that aspect of my Tolkien interest lately, and um, someone gave me this article, and if, again, you never know where your adventure will take you, because now through uh, uh, several people I've become I was able to be in touch with Diana Glyer uh, again uh, we'll be talking to, with her in just a few moments um, and I, I never would have but I wanted to read a little bit Milo from this article that, um, about Glenn Howard Goodnight II it says here for a man preoccupied with all things Tolkien his name appeared invented Glenn Howard Goodnight the Second, but it was authentic down to the unexpected capital K that stands sentry like a castle in Middle Earth. In nineteen sixty seven he was a history major at Cal State, LA, when he organized a light hearted picnic in Highland Park as a tribute to Bilbo and Frodo, two central characters in Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. The event led Goodnight to found the Mythopoeic Society, which is devoted to the serious study of Tolkien and other fantasy and mythological literature. As chapters sprang up throughout the United States and Canada, he also started an annual conference in 1970 known as MythCon that was held for the 41st time this year. And MythCon will be coming up again in uh, 2011, July 15th through 18th. MythCon 42 it will be held in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And if you uh, would like more information about that, you can find information from the Mythopoeic Society webpage at myth myth mythsoc, um, I'm sorry, m i m y t h dot o r g. So, this is a lovely article, Milo. I noticed that you also have the article.
0: Well, I love this. Just a couple of of paragraphs before we get to the professor. Upon meeting Tolkien's daughter, Priscilla, he learned, that is Goodnight learned, that she was raising money for charity by selling many first edition translations of her father's books in various languages. And he says, quote, I returned the next day with two large empty suitcases and after much good talk left later with all I could take away, end quote. As of 1992, uh, Glenn Goodnight owned... 700 Tolkien mm-hmm. volumes published in 29 languages. Unbelievable. Amazing. And at the Mythopoeic Society celebrations, he would sometimes show up dressed in the flowing robes of Elrond, which is one of the reasons why we played that selection from Rivendell. Well.
2: So, so today, uh, we are very excited. Um, the wonderful folks at the Mythopoeic Society uh, were very gracious and Uh, through several emails, put me in touch with Diana Glyer, and Professor Diana Glyer, who is a professor of English at Azusa Pacific University and who I discovered uh, is also uh, an American author, speaker, and teacher whose work centers on C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, and the Inklings, and she's the author of a book that was published in 2007, The Company They Keep, C.S. Lewis and J.R. are talking as writers in community. So, greetings, Professor Glier. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh,
0: oh so many things. Well, I guess we, we could get bored quickly, but she is the recipient of the Wade Center's Clyde S. Kilby Research Grant and Azusa Pacific University's Chase Sawtell Inspirational Teaching Award.
2: Absolutely, and I would like to note also that the company they keep was recognized as a landmark study, and she also was the recipient of the Mythopoeic Scholarship Award for Inkling Studies in 2008 and was a finalist for the 2008 Hugo Award for Best Related Book at the 66th World Science Fiction Convention. So, Professor Gleyer, it sounds like you are um, an enthusiast for uh, science fiction and fantasy. Yes, very much so. (laughs) So, can you tell us a a little, well, can we talk a little bit about, um, did you know Glenn uh, personally um, as, did you know Glenn, Glenn Goodnight personally? Yes, I did. I knew Glenn pretty well. I got
1: involved with the Mythopoeic Society when I was a freshman in college. And uh, if you can imagine your very first uh, week at a very large state university, walking around trying to find a place to fit in. And uh, at Bowling Green State University, they had tables out for different clubs. And I saw a sign for a book discussion group. And I, I just find that one things one of the things that really brings people together are love the same authors is Mm -hmm. is a love of books and so when I saw that there were other people who were reading the same kinds of things that I was who were reading Tolkien and reading Lewis and who actually knew who Charles Williams was (laughs) uh, I got pretty excited about that so I became a member of the Mythopoeic Society through a local discussion group just a small cluster of friends and we would meet at a professor's house and talk about books and that would be in the early 1970s Um, it wasn't until the early 1980s that I got a chance to meet Glenn personally and to thank him for getting me plugged in with other people who were enthusiastic about the authors that I loved so much.
2: And uh, you teach English at Azusa Pacific University.
1: I do. I teach a variety of classes in literature and in writing. Wonderful.
0: Including, if I may mention, English 488, significant authors. Students in this course undertake intensive study of one, two, or three major authors, possibly including Chaucer, Dickinson, Austin, and Wolfe, C.S. Lewis, Tolstoy, and Dostoevsky, Mark Twain, among others.
2: Mm. Well, your book, The Company They Keep, um, is this used as a textbook in any of your classes? It is.
1: It isn't used in the English 488. That special topics or significant authors class is taught periodically on a number of different authors. And I have taught that class on Tolkien. I've done Mm. a class um, on Lewis and Tolkien together. I've done a class on all of the Inklings as part of one of those special topics classes. And those classes are offered periodically. And uh, the Professor has the privilege of being able to choose a text. I would say that when we taught that as a Tolkien class, we went all the way through the Silmarillion Mm. and the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings and (laughs) all of Tolkien's letters, which we read alongside of those texts
2: as we studied them together. It was fabulous. We had a really good time. And you did that in one Semester. <laughs> I mean, that's. Like, we, I, I'm thinking like five years. I'd like to be taking taking to do that. And, and did anyone it.
0: record that? I'd love to <laughs> listen to the recordings or see the DVDs.
2: <laughs> um, maybe next time we do it, we'll try
1: to to uh, to tape it. But I would say the students almost died, but we sure died happy. You know, oh, it was just a be, great experience.
2: That would be a wonderful death. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, but you're you, were, you were asking about the company they keep as a textbook. I do teach a senior seminar course. And every uh, every year on the topic of creativity and how it is that we can uh, cultivate a more creative spirit and be mm. more ingenious and creative uh, in the various things that we do. Well, you're and an elf. <laughs> <laughs> and in that class, we do use the company they keep because I think that we can learn so much by looking at the lives of creative people. Yes. And you figure here, Tolkien and Lewis were able to use their creative gifts in such a spectacular way and Maybe if we study their example, uh, we could learn from them. And so that's what the company they keep does. It looks at the example of their interaction and influence. And uh, I guess that that can take us back around to the Mythopoeic Society, which is based
2: on the idea that when people get together,
1: a lot of wonderful creative work can take place.
2: Yes. Would you tell our listeners, and uh, we had a conversation earlier in which I asked if you would uh, be so gracious as to come back on the show at, at some... Uh, hopefully not too far in the future uh, date, to talk a little bit more about your work and your book, and, um, so, and which, which you, you said that you would. So I just want to let our listeners know, in case they're very interested in finding out more about uh, your personal work, that we will be uh, talking about that. And, but I wanted to thank you so much for coming on today to talk to us about the Mythopoeic Society, because many people may not know exactly what that is and, and what are some of the things that they're doing over there.
1: Um, and at the Nithopiac Society is really brilliant because there are so many organizations that are either very fanish that is, they're enthusiastic and they're into the media and uh, the joy of costumes and games and so many other kinds of celebratory acts, mm-hmm. and then there are events that are very scholarly and serious and sort of stuffy and, yes. uh, you know, that, that take <laughs> all this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. with, at the highest level of scholarship. And I think that what was really unique Um, brilliant really in terms of glenn's vision is what what would happen if you tried to bring the best of both worlds Mm. together what if you could create an environment where people could celebrate the serious scholarship the deep thoughtful reading but also just have fun and and enjoy the playfulness of it all and so that's a a description of what happens when people get together at conferences like the Mythopoeic Society Conference, which is an annual event. But it's also characteristic of the publications. Uh, there's um, Mythprint, which is an online publication. There's Mythlore, more, a more uh, serious scholarly journal. And there are other kinds of local discussion groups really all over the country that people can learn about, become affiliated with, that all hold this combination, this wonderful, rare combination Of the very best of scholarship and and thoughtful consideration of the text, with uh, just the the fun and the joy of celebrating what these authors have to offer.
2: And I love that. I think I have to become more involved with the Mythopoeic Society because I I think I fall into that uh, into that middle category. I'm 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 not a a scholar, an academic, um, and I came actually to the middle to Middle Earth through and the love of things talking through, um, uh, C.S. Lewis and then through the works of, um, well, through the movies, and I've, mm. I've loved the movies, and I've loved um, the online communities of people that I've met, and some of them that I've met in person, and I loved when we all got together and made crazy costumes. But when I went to the conventions, I also attended the Scholar Tracks. I loved uh, sitting in and listening, and, and I I love reading, you know, Monsters and the Critics and Vernon Flieger's work. and yes. So I love both sides of it. In fact... Um, it it was interesting to me when I first discovered this, because I didn't know how to find people that were so crazy (laughs) about Middle (laughs) Earth as I was. And, um, I just kept going to the movie. I saw it like 28 times in, in about a month and a half. Um, and just started picking up books. And they actually, the first book that I got information on, uh, J.R. Tolkien was actually the C.S. Lewis encyclopedia, uh, of Colin Durias. And then I, when I found the Silmarillion, um, I fell in love with this Sil- Silmarillion. It's one of my favorite books of all time, and there's not very many people that you can even find that are willing to kind of, because it's work. <laughs> yes, it is, Yeah, <laughs> It's work, but it's wonderful work, and uh, currently I'm in a, a, a great love affair with uh, the Book of Lost Tales, mm-hmm. uh, one in the Cottage of Lost Play, but... There's just, there is such a rich treasure out there of things to enjoy, whether you like to just be a fan and you like to follow the movies and the actors and all of that, whether you just like to read the books. There are people that really don't delve into many of these other things, but they read The Lord of the Rings like every year. or They've been doing it for like, you know, 15 years or something, or they read The Hobbit to their children uh regularly. And then you have the, the whole, there's a whole academic area of this that's, um, You know, a whole other thing. (laughs) Indeed. And a lot of of people don't
1: understand how important it is for scholars to connect with other scholars. We Mm -hmm. think about maybe the Hobbit birthday parties as being social events or collective events or gatherings. But how important it is for good scholarship to get to be among people who get together, who share their their ideas, who critique them with some rigor, mm-hmm. um, who point one another to additional sources and ideas that we might not have thought of, and a lot of that work just um, takes place firsthand with the, at meetings of the Mythopoeic Society.
2: So at MythCon, which is coming up, uh, the next one's coming up next July fifteenth through eighteenth, two thousand eleven in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, what's what are kind of some of the things that someone might expect to experience to enjoy at MythCon? Will there be you know like maybe some costuming things, and will there be scholar tracks or? Could you tell us a little bit about what that would be all about? Yes, yes, and
1: all of the above and more. <laughs> um, like Good Hobbits, we like to, to eat, and so there will be a wonderful banquet. Mm. Um, there will be papers and, me
0: in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and panel discussions um, by some of the finest scholars that you can imagine in the field, mm. uh, and also um, one of the things that the PX Society does so well is encourage young scholars and student scholars, and so people can present papers who maybe are newer to the the field, but want to explore ideas in a significant context, and mm. so there'll be um, presentations by authors of fiction, uh, there's often some kind of drama or theater that's part of it, there's wonderful music through the bardic circles, mm. it's it's just a feast, it's a long weekend, uh, a feast for the mind and a feast for the soul.
2: Wow, I definitely need to put that in my calendar. <laughs> we need to put it in our calendars. <laughs> that um and because I do have to say when um the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out there was there was a little bit of a craze, you know, of just different different things going on, small conferences, large conferences of, you know, different groups um uh, which, you know, has has waned uh quite a bit now, but it was so wonderful to go to these um conferences in different places and just you know, connect with people that shared such a love for a Middle Earth very often for not only J.R. Tolkien but also C. S. Lewis and um, generally they're always a very family oriented type of um, environment, you know, where you know, kids could come and uh, you can get ears put on and <laughs> <laughs> thing, you know, things like that. Um, so so Glenn, uh it's uh it's always I don't know, whenever, like when I read uh, this about him, uh, his passing this last weekend, I always feel like, you know, there's a little something when you read about something like this that, that a little a type of energy goes out from the circles of the world, mm-hmm. and, um, but yet the, the gratitude. I mean, amazing that the, the, the Mythopaic Society and MythCon, you know, has come about largely because of a picnic that yeah, he that yeah. he um organized uh back in nineteen sixty seven the difference uh in the world that one man's passion can make, but he, of course he did not do that all by himself there was there was a community of people that gathered around him that you know obviously has uh kept the mythhopeic society going for all these years
1: at um, his memorial service over the weekend um uh, many of us were remarking about how different our lives. Had become because of Glenn's vision, and because he he had an idea and followed through and nurtured that idea until it became a full blown reality. And um, we are we are profoundly grateful for that. But I, I think that when you're when you're thinking about Glenn and Glenn's legacy, you have kind of two opposites um issues that you need to keep in mind one is that he was indeed incredibly visionary and if you talk to people who knew him personally or even people who only knew him by reputation that word will come up again and again he had big ideas for big things and he had a certain kind of fearlessness mm-hmm. uh, maybe even ferocity mm-hmm. in making these things come about and in in um in taking risks and bringing people together making connections the other side of it, and I think that the thing that most of us maybe can relate to a little bit more, is how a single small decision can grow into, a, into something very large. And so it's the importance of, those, uh, of the simple and the immediate. Mm. Glenn wanted to connect uh, some friends um, who could sit and talk about books and authors that they love. It's so simple. It's such a simple thing. He started by having some friends over in his home. Mm-hmm. He started by sponsoring a birthday party. Uh, in some ways, not a big deal at all, and yet it became the core or the kernel of something that became truly international and, I think, mm-hmm. truly spectacular. And so those small things, those small impulses I think we all feel, how about if I try to connect these two friends, or how about if I try to just um, host this small event, and where might this go if right. we simply cultivate and nurture it in our daily lives?
2: Yes. And it's interesting because the, the books that you wrote, the company they keep, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, as writers in community, community being such such a key word. I, I, one of the things I love about um, being part of um, the DJs here at KUCI, we're all volunteers, but also my... Tolkien communities and just community in general is that there's just something that happens when people come together to do something that one person couldn't do on their own.
1: And it's it's larger than the sum of its parts. It's catalytic, isn't it, when Mm -hmm. we connect this way? Yes, and it's magic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, lots of magic involved.
2: I have to ask, and in case you are just uh, tuning in, this is KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is What Would Arwen Do? And my guest today, our guest today is Professor Diana Glyer. And uh, we're uh, just celebrating uh, Glenn Howard, goodnight, the founder and visionary of... Uh, the Mythopoeic Society. I have to ask, because in this article, it says, as of 1992, uh, Glenn owned about 700 Tolkien volumes published in 29... That was in 1992, published in 29 languages. That collection has probably grown. Do you have any idea maybe what's going to happen to all these books Is there a Is there a Tolkien museum Somewhere Or anything Or, <laughs> or does not, Someone need to Get a vision For that Oh that's a That's a wonderful
1: Question It would be My earnest hope That rather than Having these things Simply parceled off On ebay Ooh. That there, there Would be Some kind Of an initiative To see A Glen Goodnight Library Or con- collection Or study center Established I think that Might be possible um, Who knows How that might uh, Take shape Somebody has to have a little bit of a vision and then cultivate it through, but I think that would be a fabulous gift to this West Coast Mm. if something like that could come about in honor of Glenn.
2: Yes.
0: There's there's so much to discuss. I don't know where to begin. This is Milo, and one of the questions I had about Mr. Goodnight was, as we know, the lives of J.R.R. Tolkien, which this program celebrates, and C.S. Lewis were inextricably intertwined, especially in the medium of the Inklings, about which you've studied so much and written so much. And I'm wondering, to what extent did uh, Mr. Goodnight, to what extent did Glenn, uh, did he equally love the C.S. Lewis and Charles Williams kinds of things, all of the, the universe of the Inklings, or was he just really primarily focused on the Tolkien world?
1: I think that that it was very clear that he appreciated... Each of the different authors, the three authors that, that um, uh, became the core of the Mythopoeic Society, Tolkien and uh, Lewis and Williams. But he also appreciated the dynamic interaction, the inklings as an identity, um, as a group. These were, these were things that he liked. It's, it's hard. I mean, um, Lewis scholars are going to want to claim Glenn as one of their own for his passion for Narnia and the Narnia translations. And Tolkien people will appreciate how much um, he... Uh, connected with the Tolkien material, and well, Charles, you know, we all I'll need a little bit of Charles, but I don't know that anybody can ever master his work. <laughs> um, but I would I would have to say that Glenn was pretty balanced in and broad mm. in his interests in these authors.
0: Yes. we we note uh, in the Los Angeles Times they wrote that during his nearly forty years that he taught public school in Los Angeles. He made a point of reading the Chronicles of Narnia and The Hobbit to his fourth and fifth grade students. So there's many thousands of students that have been introduced to these great works through his good graces.
1: Um, I'm so glad, Milo, that you brought that up, because we think about Glenn in terms of his avocation, but his daily work was working with uh, students, and he was very, very committed to those students, and yes, many uh, hundreds of children were introduced to these authors for the first time, because he was faithful year after year to make sure that those texts were read in his class.
2: That's that's amazing. You know, it's... It's like the the ripples, you know, of one person's life and uh, the ripples that go out. It's hard to know how many how many people, um, uh, you know, have been just impacted in such a wonderful way through his, you know, through his life and his work and his passion.
1: I think that if you were to be able to have um, a few dozen of the top scholars in Lewis and Tolkien studies come on the air and talk about their work, I think a very large percentage of them would say that through mythopoeic society conferences and mythopoeic society discussion groups, their own imagination was nurtured, and their own faith in their own scholarly work was encouraged to such an extent that we went on to do the kind of research, the kind of scholarship, and the kind of teaching that we do now.
2: And it's, um, it's rather amazing to me as well to note that, like, even just in this article, there's a, a picture of him from 1971, where he's presenting the Mythopoeic uh, Scholarship Award, and dressed as Elrond, it looks like. And then there's also a picture of him uh, where it says educator, and that he was a school teacher in Los Angeles for n- nearly 40 years. So... Um, in some ways he wasn 't and he wasn 't an academic himself in the sense of being i mean he wasn 't a professor at a university teaching at uh, those graduate levels these courses, and yet he had a passion for bringing those people together.
1: Yes, and and I think that that is a a role that he played that that really is worth underscoring is that mm-hmm. um, everybody can't do everything, right. but what he was able to do was to um, seek out and cultivate that scholarly impulse in others. What a wonderful way to spread your own legacies! To realize you don't have to do it all your own, right. but if I can simply be a resource to those who have those gifts and talents, then I can increase um, my. Impact my legacy uh, much more broadly than I would otherwise,
2: as a like a catalyst yes. for all of these things uh, to happen. Because, Absolutely, because otherwise they may not have all connected together. <laughs> Absolutely true. It's true. Yes, and um, Milo, is there something else that you wanted to ask?
0: Well, there's so much I want to ask. <laughs> I
2: mean, the, you the, have that. You have that look.
0: <laughs> well, the the professor is known for her excellent scholarship in C.S. Lewis. And, of course, you know, the the presentation, the publication on the center of the Inklings, was it Lewis, was it Tolkien, was it Williams?
2: Mm-hmm. As she
0: wrote in the Journal of Lewis, Tolkien, and Williams uh, back in the fall of 2007, we s- see on her website, uh, there's so much I'd want to talk to her about.
2: Yes, but we'll have to save that for when we have have that that (laughs) to talk about her work. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, Professor Glyer, I want to thank you so very much for being on the show again. Uh, Today, again, uh, our guest is uh, Professor Diana Glyer, a professor of English at Azusa Pacific University and the author of The Company They Keep, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, as writers in community, and... I just can't wait to to have you come back and we can talk about your work, and um, and we'll be able to mention again the of course the MythCon coming up in July. So we'll have, definitely have to have you back on the show before then. Are you going to be attending? Uh, I'm not sure about my summer travel plans yet. I
1: I, um, I, c- I certainly hope so.
2: And are there um, are there any courses at Azusa Pacific right now that uh, someone could take? you know, that was not a regular student.
1: Hmm. Not that I'm aware of, but Mm. maybe that's a place where we need to open up for an online class or a video course or um, we'll keep
2: dreaming together, shall we? And we'll cook up something wonderful. Maybe we could get something like a a part of the UCI Extension Studies. They have a wonderful... (laughs) Who knows what may happen when when, when minds come together. Well, uh, Professor Gleyer, again, thank you so much for being on the program today and sharing with us uh, about your work in the Mythopoeic Society and um, Glenn Howard Goodnight II, who has now passed from the circles of this world but uh, leaves, um, leaves an incredible legacy for those of us to still enjoy and play in. Thank you so very much.
0: Okay. Bye Thanks bye. so much for being on. We'll talk to you later.
2: Sounds bye. good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. bye just... Oh... Uh, wow. <laughs> That
0: was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. wonderful.
2: I have to be careful because whenever I get into discussions or about any of these things, I get so excited and my mind starts racing around to so many things that I would like to talk about and ask about and um, her experience of teaching these classes and being a Tolkien, you know, studying Tolkien for so many decades. and not
0: only that, but... I mean, I came to C.S. Lewis after Tolkien. Sounds like the reverse of how you came. Mm -hmm. And when I first discovered Lewis, I mean, he has written some tremendous nonfiction works in the area of theology and apologetics. Mm -hmm. And she, guess who chaired the centenary C.S. Lewis conference at Wheaton College? Yes, Professor Diana. Glyer, yes you guessed it
2: and again if you'd like more information about her book her work she does have a website com. so again that's dianaglier.com she's a professor of english at azusa pacific university here in azusa california so she's right here local
0: my gosh
2: So it is just about.
0: It's almost time. But we've got time to talk about stuff that's coming up. That's very important. Wonderful
2: things coming up for the for the holidays. If you can believe, um, a week from this Thursday is Thanksgiving. The day that we uh, celebrate the things that are wonderful that we appreciate in our lives. And so next Tuesday we will be having a special Thanksgiving program.
0: But before then, we would like to say something to you about having a special holiday adventure. I went on this adventure last year. (laughs) It was an amazing adventure.
2: It's not too late to adopt a turkey and um, give a turkey freedom to roam about rather than end up on someone's table as the main course. And... uh, as, as a vegetarian myself, the, one of the reasons I'm a vegetarian is because I believe that there is plen- there's enough food out there for me to be nourished without having any creatures having to die. So um, there are just so many wonderful things to enjoy for Thanksgiving. and. Cranberry sauce. Cranberry sauce. Stuffing. Butternut squash, mashed potatoes, sweet potato casserole, green bean casserole, all kinds of soups, all kinds of pies, all kinds of breads with butter and cream. And, I mean, of course, we always want to have room for dessert. There are so many wonderful desserts that come about. on Lots of ways to find chocolate um, at Thanksgiving. And so actually turkey could be just a very small part of your holiday tradition of of the food aspect of your holiday tradition and, and
0: in fact last year at you know at your prompting i went to the website adoptaturkey.org mm-hmm. adoptaturkey.org and read some of their information and it sort of put me off my feedback with regard to turkey so last year At Thanksgiving, I did not have any turkey. Now, I am not a vegetarian. As a hobbit, I like my taters and mushrooms Uh with a bit of bacon. But I did not have, for the first time in my life, I did not have any turkey last Thanksgiving. And elf princess, I did not miss it.
2: <laughs> you had plenty to satisfy a hobbit's appetite.
0: Absolutely, and no one noticed. Yeah. No one paid any attention to what I was eating.
2: Yeah, I bet the the turkey might have noticed. No, <laughs> but anyway, all of that to say that it's never too late to start a new tradition and uh, to honor the creatures of our planet. And and it's not even it's not only about honoring the creatures. If you actually go to the website and learn a little bit about the commercial farming practices for uh, raising these animals. In addition to the cruelty and pain that's caused to the animals, also the way it impacts the environments. Very often, in the um, air, in around these uh, commercial farms, it's something. And it's there is a there is a uh, video on the website. It's very graphic. It's hard to see, but sometimes we need to we need to see. If it, I actually do believe that if anybody had to go out into their yard and kill a chicken, you oh. know, grab it, catch it, chop off its head, feather it, gut it. Uh, With a chicken or a turkey, very many times we would just go, you know, I think I'll have some rice for lunch. Right.
0: (laughs) I mean, on the other hand, you know, I would say, certainly, if you're going to have a turkey, try to get one that is farm-raised in a free-range, humane style. If you have to have turkey, the way to have turkey is not, you know, the generic. Not the generic. Well, in any any case... the way they've been... Kind adopt a org if you want to find out more about the nature of Thanksgiving turkeys.
2: And there's a wonderful event coming up uh, just a couple oh of weeks gosh. right here at UC Irvine that's uh, in partnership with UC Irvine and the Center for Living Peace, which is right across the street here in University Center. A special speaker's coming. Who's that?
0: Academy Award-winning actress and a very well-spoken person. I've seen her on talk shows before. Uh, the great um, African actress Charlize Theron. She was born in Africa. Mm -hmm. She now works mostly in in the West and Northern Hemisphere. But she is the sponsor of the Charlize Theron Africa Outreach Project. And you can get more information at goodhappens.org, the website of the Center for Living Peace. But she's coming here in person to Irvine on December the 4th.
2: To do a peace talk.
0: My gosh.
2: That is going to be, and it's it's a very reasonable, it's actually free. I believe it's free for students and uh, students of UCI. Didn't you tell me that I last time? I think that may
0: be true, yes. Uh,
2: students and faculty. And for those of us that it is not free for, it's um, barely the cost of a couple of lattes. So <laughs> we don't mention prices here, but... Uh, very reasonable to go and be inspired for peace. We are entering into that s- the season for gratitude and peace on earth, goodwill toward all uh, mankind. And what what better time to go and listen to a peace talk from someone who cares very deeply and passionately about these issues? And again, you can get information or tickets at Good Happens. Dot org, .org, which is the website for the Center for Living Peace right here in Irvine. And does that bring us to the end of oh our time? Oh, my gosh.
0: It's unbelievable <laughs> how quickly time flies when you're, when well, you're enjoying yourself. Well, in case yourself. people
2: are just tuning in and they missed our interview with Professor Diana Glyer about uh, the Mythopoeic Society and her work uh, on behalf of all things Inklings, Um. The podcast will be available. Is that true? That's and where, right. And where we, might people find
0: that? We upload the podcast the Wednesday after the show. So by tomorrow evening, Pacific time, you can go to KUCITalk.org and search for What Would Arwen Do? Or you can go to iTunes. You can go to iTunes and search for Arwen, A-R-W-E-N, in the iTunes store and get the free download podcast that way. Either way, it's free.
2: And we will be back next Tuesday
0: with our Thanksgiving show, with and there's so much show. to be thankful yes, for.
2: Absolutely, four to five p.m. here on KUCI in Irvine. So until then, lusto beth KUCI tola del nangalad. Listen to KUCI and come back to the light.
0: This is KUCI Irvine. You've been listening to What Would Arwen Do? See you next week.
2: Namaria. No